Good morning and welcome to today's reading of the Mason City Fort Dodge Gazette for February 23rd, 2024. I'm your reader, Bob. And as an advance notice, there are no obituaries in today's Gazette, so I will just be reading the news. Mediators report signs of progress as U.S. envoy visits Israel by John Fetterman, Sammy Magdi, and Wafa Sharatha of the Associated Press out of Jerusalem. International efforts to broker a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas appeared to gain new momentum Thursday at the White House said a visit by a senior envoy with Israeli leaders was going well and other mediators reported encouraging signs from the warring parties. The new signs of progress came ahead of an expected summit this week in Paris, where mediators plan to present a new proposal. The U.S., Egypt, and Qatar have struggled for weeks to find a formula that could halt Israel's devastating offensive in Gaza, but now face an unofficial deadline as the Muslim holy month of Ramadan approaches. White House Mideast envoy Brett McGurk held talks throughout the day with Israeli leaders and families of Israel hostages held by Hamas. The initial indications we're getting from Brett are these discussions are going well, said White House spokesman John Kirby. A Western diplomat involved in the effort said both sides want to pause. What we have heard from our partners is that they are willing to give concessions, she said. Time is pressing them. In new fighting, Israeli strikes killed more than 70 people in southern and central Gaza, Palestinian health officials said. In the Israeli-occupied West Bank, three Palestinian gunmen opened fire on morning traffic at a highway checkpoint, killing one man and wounding five others, Israeli police said. Israel declared war after Hamas militants stormed across the border on October 7th. An estimated 1,200 people, mostly civilians, died during the raid, and militants took 250 people captive, according to Israeli authorities. The Israeli military response has left more than 29,000 Palestinian dead, caused widespread destruction, displaced an estimated 80% of Gaza's population, and fueled a humanitarian disaster. About half of the hostages were released during a week-long ceasefire in November. About 100 hostages remained in captivity, in addition to the bodies of 30 others. Israel demands the release of the remaining hostages as part of any pause, but has vowed to press ahead with the offensive until Hamas military and government capabilities are destroyed. Hamas wants an end to the war. The full withdrawal of troops and the release of thousands of Palestinian prisoners Israel is holding. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has dismissed the Hamas demands as delusional. But in recent days, Israeli leaders have begun to voice cautious optimism and Hamas suggested it is softening its demands. Defense Minister Yav Gallant, a member of Israel's three-man war cabinet, indicated some flexibility. We will expand the authority given to our hostage negotiators, he said. At the same time, he warned that the Israeli army is preparing the continuation of intense ground operations. Benny Gantz, who sits on the war cabinet with Gallant and Netanyahu, has said that if there is no hostage deal, Israel will launch a ground offensive into Gaza's southernmost town, Rafah, 
during the Muslim holy month of Ramadan, which begins about March 10th. A top Hamas official, meanwhile, voiced hope for lots of breakthroughs in the near future. More than half of Gaza's population of 2.3 million is crowded into Rafah after fleeing fighting elsewhere in the territory. Israel claims it will evacuate them before attacking, but it is not clear where they would go, with much of the rest of the tiny Mediterranean enclave consumed in combat. The U.S. has urged Israel not to invade Rafah without a plan to protect civilians. Kirby said that McGurk was pressing the Israelis for details. The foreign ministers of 26 European countries on Thursday called for a pause in fighting, leading to a longer ceasefire. Both the Western diplomat and an Egyptian official said they have seen encouraging signs from Israel and Hamas. The Egyptian official said Egypt, Qatar, and the U.S. would craft a renewed proposal at the talks in Paris, expected on Friday or Saturday. He said mediators managed to water down demands of both sides, including the number of Palestinian prisoners Israel would release in return for women and elderly hostages during a preliminary six-week ceasefire. He said the discussions are encouraging. He also said both sides agreed to continue indirect negotiations for a permanent ceasefire, something Israeli officials in public have ruled out. Masa Abu Mazurk, a senior Hamas official, said the negotiations were focused on our people. He called for Palestinians to be allowed to return to their homes in northern Gaza and a redeployment of Israel forces from residential areas. If this is achieved, things can move on an excellent and good way, he said. Therefore, we say there might be lots of breakthroughs in the near future. Israeli media said the war cabinet agreed late Thursday to send a delegation to the Paris talks. Our next article, States Target Health Insurers, Prior Authorization Red Tape. Lawmakers in 29 states and Washington considered bills to limit requirements in 23. By Brahm Sabo-Smith of KFF Health News. Christopher Marks noticed an immediate improvement when his doctor prescribed him the type 2 diabetes medication Monjaro last year. The 40-year-old truck driver from Kansas City, Missouri, said his average blood sugar reading decreased significantly and keeping it within target range took less insulin than before. But when his doctor followed the typical prescribing pattern and increased his dose of Monjaro, a drug with a wholesale list price of more than $1,000 a month, Mark's health insurer declined to pay for it. Mark's had Cigna insurance that he purchased on the federal health insurance marketplace, healthcare.gov. After two appeals over a month and a half, Cigna agreed to cover the higher dose. A few months later, he said, when it was time to up his dose once more, he was denied again. By November, he decided it wasn't worth sparring with Cigna anymore, since the insurer was leaving the marketplace in Missouri at the start of the year. He decided to stay on the lower dose until his new insurance kicked in. That is beyond frustrating, Mark said. People shouldn't have to be like, it's not worth the fight to get my medical treatment. The process Mark's encountered is called prior authorization, or sometimes pre-certification, a tool insurers say they use to rein in costs and protect patients from unnecessary, ineffective medical treatment. 
The practice prompted backlash from patients and groups representing medical professionals and hospitals that say prior authorization can interfere with treatment, cause medical provider burnout, and increase administrative costs. In January, the Biden administration announced new rules to streamline the process for patients and certain health plans after attempts stalled in Congress. States are considering prior authorization bills that go even further. Last year, lawmakers in 29 states and Washington, D.C. considered some 90 bills to limit prior authorization requirements, according to the American Medical Association, with notable victories in New Jersey and Washington, D.C. The Physicians Association expects more bills this year, many with provisions spelled out in model legislation the group drafted. In 2018, health insurers signed a consensus statement with various medical facility and provider groups that broadly laid out areas for improving the prior authorization process. The lack of progress since they have shown the need for legislative action, said Jack Resnick, Jr., past president of the AMA and a current trustee. Resnick, a California dermatologist, emphasized pending bills in Indiana, Massachusetts, North Carolina, Oklahoma, and Wyoming that include several policies backed by the AMA, including quicker response times, requirements for public reporting of insurers' prior authorization determinations, and programs to reduce the volume of requests, sometimes called gold carding. In Missouri, legislation introduced by Republican State Representative Melanie Stinnett aims to establish one of those gold carding programs for treatment and prescriptions. Stinnett said she was frustrated by prior authorization hurdles in her work as a speech pathologist before joining the legislature in 2023. Under her bill, a medical provider's prior authorization request during a six-month evaluation period would be reviewed. After that period, providers whose requests were approved at least 90% of the time would be exempt from having to submit requests for the next six months. The exemptions also would apply to facilities that meet that threshold. Then, she said, they would need to continue meeting the threshold to keep the luxury of the exemption. Five states passed some form of gold carding program. Louisiana, Michigan, Texas, Vermont, and West Virginia. The AMA is tracking active gold carding bills in 13 states, including Missouri. A 2022 survey of 26 health insurance plans conducted by the industry trade group AHIP found that just over half of those plans using a gold card program for medical services, while about a fifth had done so for prescriptions. They gave mixed reviews. 23% said patient safety improved or stayed the same, while 20% said the practice increased costs without improving quality. The new federal prior authorization rule finalized by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services stopped short of gold carding and don't address prior authorizations for prescription drugs, like Marx's Monjaro prescription. Beginning in 2026, the new rules establishing response timeframes and public reporting requirements, and ultimately will mandate an electronic process for some insurers participating in federal programs, such as Medicare Advantage or the health insurance marketplace. 
Manual submission accounted for 39% of prior authorization requests for prescriptions and 60% of those for medical services, according to the 2022 insurance survey. In Missouri, opposition to Stennett's bill comes largely from pharmacy benefit managers and the insurance industry, including the company whose prior authorization process Marks navigated last year. A Cigna healthcare executive submitted testimony saying the company's experience sold gold car policies increase inappropriate care and costs. Louis Propes, the coalition's executive director, said the prior authorization process has issues, but the coalition would prefer that a solution come from insurers and providers rather than a new law. In spot news from around the nation and world, Google pauses new AI chatbot feature. Google says Thursday it temporarily stopped its Gemini artificial intelligence chatbot from generating images of people a day after apologizing for inaccuracies in historical depictions it created. Gemini users this week posted screenshots on social media of historically white-dominated scenes with racially diverse characters they say it generated, leading critics to raise questions about whether the company is overcorrecting for the risk of racial bias in its AI model. Previous studies have shown AI image generators can amplify racial and gender stereotypes found in their training data, and without filters are more likely to show lighter-skinned men when asked to generate a person in various contexts. Four tied to seal deaths charged in smuggling. Four foreign nationals were charged Thursday with transporting suspected Iranian-made weapons on a vessel intercepted by U.S. naval forces in the Arabian Sea last month. Two Navy SEALs died during the mission. The criminal complaint unsealed Thursday in U.S. District Court in Richmond alleges that four defendants, who are all carrying Pakistani identification cards, were transporting suspected Iranian-made missile components for the type of weapons used by Houthi rebel forces in recent attacks. The flow of missiles and other advanced weaponry from Iran to Houthi rebel forces in Yemen threatens the people and interests of America and our partners in the region, Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco said in a news release. Navy SEALs Christopher J. Chambers and Nathan Cage Ingram died during the January 11th interception. Houthi attacks. Yemen's Houthi rebels launched attacks Thursday on both Israel and a ship traveling through the Gulf of Aden, setting the vessel ablaze as the rebels' supreme leader, Abdul Malik al Houthi, announced an escalation in sea operations. Capital riot. Minnesota resident Brian Mock who repeatedly attacked police officers during the January 6, 2021 Capitol riot, wielded a police baton as a weapon and stole two riot shields, was sentenced Thursday to nearly three years in prison. Mind collapse. Families and friends began burying loved ones Thursday, who were among at least 16 people killed in the collapse of an illegally operating gold mine in a remote area of central Venezuela as anger mounts at the government's slow response. Hate crime. Nathaniel Veltman, 23, a Canadian man found guilty of using his pickup to kill four members of a Muslim family, was sentenced Thursday to life in prison as a judge ruled that the actions of the admitted white nationalists amounted to terrorism. Voting rolls. 
Georgia's automatic voting registration added nearly all eligible citizens to the rolls, but some Republicans want to turn the system off and voted Thursday to advance a bill requiring people to opt in when they receive or renew a driver's license. Abortion. Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin asked the state Supreme Court on Thursday to overturn a 174-year-old state law conservatives have interpreted as an abortion ban, the second legal challenge to the statute since the U.S. Supreme Court invalidated Roe v. Wade. In sports news, the Iowa women's team fell to Indiana last night, 86-69. In the loss... Caitlin Clark contributed 24 points, 10 rebounds, and 9 assists in a Hawkeye effort that fell short. In other news, E.D. Fuels Purdue's blowout victory, a story by the Associated Press. Zach E.D. scored 25 points on near-perfect shooting. Camden Hyde added a career-high 18, and number 3 Purdue routed Rutgers 96-68 on Thursday night. Edie was 7 or 8 from the field and made 11 free throws without a miss. He also had 7 rebounds. Hyde was 7 for 7 from the field, making 4 three-pointers, after entering the game averaging 3 points. Lance Jones added 17 points for the Boilermakers. Jones was 7 of 14 from the field after going 1 of 10 in a 68-60 victory at Rutgers on January 28th. Brandon Smith had 13 points, 7 rebounds, and 5 assists. Jeremiah Williams scored 12 points for Rutgers. Noah Fernandez had 11. Purdue's biggest lead was 37 at 87 to 50. In the brief news, find the Southeastern Conference fined LSU $100,000 in connection to fans running onto the court after the Tigers' victory over number 17 Kentucky. The fine was for LSU's first offense under the SEC's policies that state's fans are not allowed in the competition area at any time. Suspended. Alabama forward Mohamed Wag was suspended for one game by the SEC for elbowing Florida's Alex Condon in the back of the head. As baseball's starting up, here's some baseball news. San Diego Padres. There was a moment of silence for Peter Seidler before San Diego's first spring training game. Seidler, the team's owner and chairman, died in November at 63. San Diego hosted the Los Angeles Dodgers in Peoria, Arizona, in the only game Thursday. Those teams got an early start because they will open the regular season against each other on March 20th in Seoul, South Korea. Yankees. Alex Verdugo is now with the New York after being traded by the Red Sox, but insists he had no hard feelings toward Alex Cora, his former manager, who benched him twice in Boston last year. Verdugo was first benched by Cora on June 8th for not hustling between first and second base on a grounder a night earlier, and on August 5th for arriving late to the ballpark. Milwaukee Brewers Gary Sanchez is guaranteed $3 million in his one-year contract with Milwaukee, and he can earn an additional $4 million this season depending upon the condition of his right wrist and $14 million over two seasons. Dominican Republic Albert Pujols was hired as manager of Los Leones del Escondido, a club in the Dominican Republic Professional League. The 44-year-old Pujols hit 703 homers, 
fourth most in history over 22 major league seasons, and his 2,218 RBIs are the second most all-time, trailing only Henry Aaron. Pujols retired in 2022. In NBA news, the Nuggets defeated the Wizards 130-110. to The Celtics defeated the Bulls 129-112. to The Pelicans defeated the Rockets 127-105. The Magic defeated the Cavaliers 116-109. The Raptors defeated the Nets 121-93. The Warriors defeated the Lakers 128-110. The Kings defeated the Spurs 127-122. The Thunder defeated the Clippers 129-107. The Knicks defeated the 76ers 110-96. The Hornets defeated the Jazz, 115-107, and the Pacers defeated the Pistons, 129-115. In hockey news, the Penguins defeated the Canadians, 4-1. The Rangers defeated the Devils, 5-1. The Blues defeated the Islanders, 4-0. The Flames defeated the Bruins, 3-2 in overtime. The Red Wings defeated the Avalanche, 2-1 in overtime. The Capitals defeated the Lightning 5-3 to in, over, in overtime. The Senators defeated the Stars 4-1. to The Kraken defeated the Canucks 5-2. to The Maple Leafs defeated the Golden Knights 7-3. to And the Predators defeated the Kings 4-1. to From the Lifestyles and Entertainment section, My Pet World, When Cats Suddenly Bite. Dear Kathy, I'm on owned by an adorable five-year-old reverse tuxedo cat named Jasmine. When I adopted her at age three, the shelter warned me she liked to nibble hands. This was never objectionable because she is a small cat with a little mouth. About six months ago, though, her bite acquired more force and now occasionally draws blood. I refuse to play with her until she stops chewing on me. She seems to engage in this behavior more when I haven't thrown toys for her, I assume she is bored or angry at me. I leave her alone at this point. I have learned she likes her chill time. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Dear Richard, Cats are highly sensitive to touch and stimuli, and as caretakers, we may unintentionally upset them. Overstimulation in cats often leads to biting, serving as their way of signaling discomfort or displeasure. This behavior is known as petting-induced or overstimulation aggression. Understanding why cats bite allows for elimination of triggers. Cat play, cat play mirrors hunting behavior involving stalking, pouncing, and biting. When cats bite their prey, they hold on until it stops moving. To release her grip, remain still until she stops biting, and then calmly walk away. Never use your hands to play with her. Instead, use stuffed socks, wire wands, lure toys, or lasers to cater to her natural play instincts. While it's instinctive to pet cats, respecting their preferences is essential. Learn your cat's tolerance for touch, watching for warning signs such as ears twitching back, dilated pupils, and a rigid, slow-moving tail. By respecting your cat's boundaries, you can avoid sudden bites. Dear Kathy, 
I've had three dogs and I wanted to make a recommendation to your readers. If the vet allows it, the owners should be present in the room when they put their dogs to sleep. Each time, I found the experience very peaceful. The dogs go to sleep, and I know that the suffering is over for my furry loved one. Dear Doug, I wholeheartedly agree. When it comes to a pet's final moments, being present and holding them is a compassionate choice. Pets may feel scared or anxious in an unfamiliar exam room, and your decision to be present can make all the difference. In December, I faced the difficult decision to euthanize my 14-year-old dog, Buster. A vet tech said she needed to take him to another room so they could insert the IV. I had brought Buster in on a dog bed because he was struggling to walk. So I requested they pull him on the bed into the other room and then drag him back when they were finished. After a brief interval, I heard Buster making his way down the hall on his own. He was determined to return to my side. In that moment, his need to be with with me was evident. While I understand this is a challenging experience for many, being present during your pet's final moments can offer a sense of closure. A five-year-old's furry good job of reading. The doorbell rings. I open the door, and nobody is there. As scripted, I exclaim in surprise that the doorbell rang, but nobody is there. On cue, a five-year-old in a puffy pink coat barrels around from the side of the porch, squealing with laughter. She runs into the house, throws her coat toward the hall tree, but not exactly on it, and races to the front room, carrying a stuffed white puppy dog in one arm and dragging a tote bag filled with books in the other arm. She will be hanging out with us for a few hours today and has brought some early reader books to read with Grandma. She clings, climbs onto the love seat with the faded yellow floral print, courtesy of 20 years of sunshine streaming through the windows, and pulls out Biscuit and the Great Fall Day. Biscuit is a yellow puppy featured in Simple Sentence Adventures for early readers. Biscuit and the Great Fall Days, she softly says, giving me ample time to study the cover. Can't wait, I say, but I must wait. Slowly she turns to page one, filled with fall pictures, which she gives me time to absorb, then slowly to page two, also filled with fall pictures. Also, give me more time to absorb. Page three is blank, yet we pause and absorb. This is followed by title page, then another picture, and finally the story begins. It's a great fall day, Biscuit, she says. Woof, woof. She's not used to using her finger to follow words, simply pausing, thinking, and giving the synapses time to fire. She hesitated before, great. That G with the tall hanging down, is tail hanging down, is a memory prompt for for the word good, a word more familiar to her. Great is a setup. It has two vowels side by side. It's the old, the first one does the walking and the second one does the talking. This is a curveball to our young batter. She holds the G in her throat, starts to unleash goo, and then abruptly skirts the D sound, slides into the R sound, and finishes off with great. She hits the ball out of the park. Because reading is more inviting when it is enjoyable, I coach her on Biscuit's dialogue. Having found her go-to, woof, she hits a home run after a home run. The next day on the phone with her mother, I mentioned that I taught her little one to read with color in her voice, whereupon you-know-who woofs in the background. 
Our daughter, who taught early elementary, deadpanned, they don't teach that in school, mother. Of course they don't, which is why little ones should come to grandma's house. Before switching over to the Fort Dodd section, I'll remind you that you are listening on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of the blind and print disabled. I'm your reader, Bob. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS programs, give us a call at 515-243-6833. And now we return to the Fort Dodd section of today's readings. Our first article from The Messenger for Friday, February 23, 2024. State audit finds almost 25000 in undeposited Webster County Polk Health Funds by Jane Curtis. State Auditor Rob Sands, Special Investigation of the Webster County Public Health Department, has confirmed some financial concerns reportedly connected to the firing of former director Carrie Prescott in the spring of 2022. Sands' office identified $24,436 of undeposited collections, $32,663.85 of questioned costs charged to the federal family planning grant, and $1,611.13 of unsupported disbursements, according to the audit released Thursday. This special investigation was requested by Webster County officials as a result of concerns regarding certain financial transactions processed by Prescott. The inquiry period extends from July 1, 2016 through May 31, 2022. According to the audit, the $24,436 of undeposited collections includes $16,456 for fees for immunizations and $7,980 of fees for tuberculosis tests administered by the Webster County Health Department. Because sufficient records were not available, it was not possible to determine if funds were not collected, collected but not deposited, or split between uncollected and undeposited, the report states. Sand also reported it was not possible to determine if additional fees for other services were not properly deposited because adequate documentation was not available. Prescott, who has been with the department since 1997 and served as director since 2008, was placed on administrative leave by the Westford County Board of Health on May 9, 2022, pending an investigation into allegations of a hostile work environment, financial irregularities, and irregularities in documentation. It was previously reported. Further investigation led to Prescott's immediate termination by the board on May 25th. It was after firing Prescott that the Board of Health voted to contact Sands' office and request the audit that was released Thursday. At that time, Webster County Attorney Darren Driscoll said that Prescott was fired for fostering a hostile environment rising to the level of misconduct on the part of the director. On Thursday, Driscoll released this statement in response to the audit results. The Office of the Iowa State Auditor was hired by Webster County to perform a special investigation into the finances of Webster County Health Department. After former Health Department Director Carrie Prescott was terminated from employment by Webster County on May 25, 2022, following an 
internal investigation by the Webster County Attorney's Office and Webster County Human Resources Department. Webster County took swift action to investigate reports of alleged misconduct in the Health Department and assisted the Office of the State Auditor in their special investigation. In addition, the Webster County Attorney's Office contacted the Iowa Attorney General's Office and Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation to review the conclusions set forth in the State Auditor's report and determine what action may be appropriate going forward. Webster County would like to thank the Office of the Auditor of State and the State of Iowa for their efforts in this matter. It would be up to the Iowa Attorney General's Office to file charges against Prescott. As of press time Thursday, no charges have been filed. Teaming up, Iowa's Central Cross Country Team raises money to benefit cancer patients. For the past 17 years, the Iowa Central Cross Country Team has been racing to make life a little easier for individuals undergoing cancer treatment at Unity Point Health in Fort Dodge. Members of the team sold t-shirts with proceeds going to their 17th annual Race to Erase Breast Cancer efforts during the month of October, which is also Breast Cancer Awareness Month. They also hosted the Firecracker 5K run in Webster City in July with proceeds benefiting the project and also received the proceeds from an employee jeans day to go toward the cause. It is important to me and our program that we do more than just run, said D. Brown, director of track and field at Iowa Central. Dinson's running and athletics in general is a magnificent platform for so many things. We emphasize academics, time management, sportsmanship, citizenship, and especially service learning. The team presented a $3,000 check to representatives from Unity Point Health Fort Dodge on February 19th. Since 2007, the team has raised a total of $32,200 for the Noma Schmoker Cancer Center. Proceeds from the fundraiser go to the Cancer Center Foundation, which assists patients being treated at the center with needs they may have and helps to fund preventive care events such as the head and neck cancer screening held each year in conjunction with Iowa Central. Every bit given has an impact that goes a long way, said Stephanie Koenig, Manager of Oncology and Infusion Services at Unity Point Fort Dodge. It provides gas cards to help patients get to treatment, assists with expenses at home that a patient may have while off work for treatment, genetic counseling, and preventative screenings, and help with treatment resources that maybe we have to send patients to another facility for. We always appreciate the support. We are fortunate to be part of a great community in Fort Dodge where so many people and organizations take care of each other, Brown said. I love that year after year, we are able to continue selling t-shirts, among other things, to raise money for such a noble cause. Our students literally run with this idea and make the most of it. Humlicek will face jury trial in April. Woodstock man pleaded not guilty to vehicular homicide by Jane Curtis. Out of Webster City, Dustin Humlicek will face a jury when the case goes to trial in Hamilton County on April 9th. He is accused of causing a passenger's death and a one-vehicle crash in northern Webster City in 2023. Humlicek, 40, has pleaded not guilty to the charges he faces. 
He was charged earlier this month with homicide by vehicle operating while intoxicated and operating while under the influence, according to online court records, and was arrested by Hamilton County Sheriff's Department deputies. He faces a possible sentence of up to 25 years in prison on the vehicular homicide charge. Kevin Byhol of Webster City was 48 when he died after being transported to a Des Moines hospital by air ambulance following a pickup crash at the intersection of North Des Moines Street in Webster City and 210th Street, which is locally known as the Annetta Woods blacktop. The accident occurred on September 2nd, 2023. Brightall was a passenger in the 2009 Chevy Silverado being driven by Humlicek, who was then 39 and of Webster City, the sheriff's office reported. Humlicek called 911 to report the accident, the report stated. He told authorities he was driving the pickup northbound on Des Moines Street and didn't stop for a stop sign at 210th Street. The pickup went into the north ditch and ended in a residential yard. Humnicek's 9-11 call was logged at 3.03 a.m. September 2nd, 2023. I was dispatched to a motor vehicle accident that occurred at 1751 210th Street, Webster City, Iowa, Deputy Zane Mitica, Mikita said in a criminal complaint filed in Hamilton County. I arrived and observed multiple officers and emergency services rendering aid to the victim, the driver was sitting just outside of the driver's door on the above vehicle. Webster City's officer, Dan Watkins, asked the defendant if he was driving and if Officer Watkins' written statement, the defendant admitted to driving the vehicle. The defendant was loaded into an emergency vehicle and given aid. I went to the hospital where I was waiting for an EMS helicopter to arrive and take the defendant to Mercy One Hospital in Des Moines. While in the back of the emergency vehicle, I spoke to the defendant. I could smell the odor of an alcoholic beverage coming from his person, and the defendant's eyes were bloodshot and watery. I read the defendant his implied consent advisory due to the defendant being involved in a motor vehicle accident while showing signs of impairment. I gave the defendant until the helicopter arrival to decide to provide me with a blood or urine sample, but the defendant did not answer. This constituted a refusal for the withdrawal of a body specimen. It was reasonable to believe that due to the victim's extensive injuries, the victim likely sustained serious bodily injury or injuries resulting in death. Both men were transported to Des Moines. Baital later died that day from his injuries. A search warrant served on Humlicek at Mercy One Hospital in Des Moines sought a blood sample. The passenger's injuries were due to the defendant's driving behavior that resulted from a single vehicle accident. The search warrant observed multiple alcoholic beverages partially drank inside the vehicle. Lab tests ultimately showed the presence of alcohol and marijuana meta metabolites in Humlicek's blood, according to a report from the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation Laboratory in Ankeny. The accident was investigated by the Hamilton County Sheriff's Office, which said that in a 2023 report that charges were pending. Homicide by vehicle operating while intoxicated is a Class B felony. Operating while under the influence first offense is a serious misdemeanor. Humnicek also was reported driving with a suspended license, which is a simple misdemeanor. 
a Class B felony is punishable by up to 25 years imprisonment. A serious misdemeanor is punishable by up to one year in prison or a $2,500.60 fine. And simple misdemeanor punishable by up to 30 days in prison and a fine of $850. Assisting the Hamilton County Sheriff's Office in the investigation was the Webster City Police Department, Webster City Fire Department, Van Deest Medical Center Ambulance, Iowa State Patrol, and the Polk County Medical Examiner. In the Dates to Remember section in Fort Dodge, Knights of Columbus Lenten Fish Fry is 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. today at Corpus Christi Center, 405 North 8th Street. Dinners include fried fish, baked fish, shrimp, or grilled cheese served with baked potato or french fries, homemade coleslaw, roll, ice cream, and beverages. The meal will be served dine-in or carry-out. Tickets for fried fish, baked fish, or shrimp are $12. Combo meal for all three is $14. Grilled cheese or kids' portion is $6. And children age five and under are free. Also in Fort Dodge, Eggs and Issues Legislative Forum is 8.30 to 10 a.m. Saturday in the Triton Cafe Boardroom on the Iowa Central Community College campus. The forum is free. In Fort Dodge, a benefit for John Wyden, who was injured in a motorcycle accident at 3 p.m. to midnight Saturday on the second floor of the Eagles, 1018 First Avenue North. There will be food, bands, and solo artists and live and silent auctions. The Fort Dodge Choral Society concert around this decade is 3 p.m. Sunday at Grace Lutheran Church, 211 South 9th Street. The concert will feature Kevin Memley's Magnificat with Jive for five. Admission is $12 for adults, free for students, and included with the Fort Dodge Choral Society membership. Around the area, the Manson Meridian Singers show is 7 p.m. Saturday and 2 p.m. Sunday in the Kate Tobin Auditorium in Manson Northwest Webster High School, Manson. Tickets are $10 for adults and $7 for students. There will be no reserved seating. Tickets may be purchased by calling 712-469-3116 or from any Meridian member. In West Bend, the West Bend Knights of Columbus Fish Fry is 5 to 7.30 today. At the West Bend Golf and Country Club, the menu is all-you-can-eat fish, served with potatoes, macaroni and cheese, coleslaw, dinner roll, ice cream, sundae, coffee, milk, and water. Tickets are $13 for ages 11 and older, $8 for ages 5 to 10, and free for children under 4. Drive up Carryouts are available by calling 515-320-3600. Shut-in delivery is available upon request. And now we turn to today's obituaries. John Fletcher. A celebration of life for John Fletcher, 63 of Humboldt, will be held on Sunday, February 25th, 2024 at 2 p.m. at the Gunderson Funeral Chapel. A time of the gathering for family and friends will be from 1 p.m. on Sunday until the time of service at the Gunderson Funeral Home and Cremation Services. Please visit 
gundersonfuneralhome.com to see a complete obituary or to leave an online condolence. At the funeral home at 307 South 12th Street in Fort Dodge, Marion King, age 89, celebration of life, later date. Sarah Catherine Ringert, age 44, services held at a later date. Phyllis Marie Reitemann, age 87, services held at a later date. Turning to sports, Iowa falls into tie for second in Big Ten with Indiana by Michael Murat. Out of Bloomington, Indiana, Indiana made Clayton Clark fight for every point. The 14th-ranked Hoosiers' relentlessly physical defense finally derailed the top women's basketball score in NCAA Division I history. A frustrated Clark endured a rare off night while Sarah Scalia scored 25 points and All-American center Mackenzie Holmes added 24 points and 9 rebounds to lead Indiana past number 4 Iowa 86-69 on Thursday night. I thought defensively we were just terrific, Indiana coach Terry Morin said. I think we made everything very difficult for Caitlin Clark tonight, and that's hard to do. She's a phenomenal player. Playing for the first time since she broke the NCAA women's career scoring record, Clark finished with 24 points, 10 assists, and 9 rebounds, but struggled from the field. She was 8 for 26 overall and 3 for 16 on three-pointers while scoring just 4 points in the second half. Clark has 3,593 points and is 57 away from her next milestone, Lynette Woodard's major women's college scoring record with three games left in the regular season. Hawkeyes coach Lisa Bluter detected frustration from her star, which at one point was talking to the Indiana bench. Clark acknowledged how difficult it was to contend with the Hoosiers and their rotating defenders. I think being physical, face guarding me, throwing a lot of different people at me, yeah, just very physical, Clark said. They kind of pushed me off my spots and got me out a little deeper than I wanted to be. Indiana, the defending regular season Big Ten champion, had something to prove after Monday night's inexplicable loss at Illinois, and the and the Hoosiers didn't disappoint. Yarden Garson made three threes and finished with 15 points. And the Hoosiers were more than ready for Clark, just like they were last year. Three hours before tip-off, long lines are snaking around Assembly Hall, for it already been announced as a sellout. Inside the arena, Indiana t-shirts were the dominant fashion choice, with a few black and gold, number 22 jerseys sprinkled around. And after Clark put up a rare shot that missed everything in the first half, the crowd responded with chants of, Air ball! Clark's three threes gave her 143, breaking the single-season Big Ten record, set she sat last season at 140, but she couldn't outduel the nation's best shooting team. Credit for that goes to Indiana's defense. We knew she was going to get her 25, 30, or 40 points, whatever, Holmes said, but we had a goal in mind to, you know, make it an inefficient 30, 40 points and to keep the others out of it. To be able to do that and just be locked into the game that we had in store, that was the biggest thing. Indiana closed the first half on a 12-6 run for a 44-33 halftime lead, then shut out Iowa for nearly the first four minutes of the second half as it extended the margin to 51-33. 
Iowa finally responded with a 9-2 spurt and cut the deficit to 62-54 after three. But Garzin opened the fourth quarter with two baskets and an assist to give the Hoosiers a 69-56 lead, and the Hawkeyes never recovered. Kate Martin had 19 points for Iowa. In the big picture, the Hawkeyes have lost three regular season games this season, all on the road, and it could cost them a shot at the Big Ten regular season crown. Number two Ohio State has a two-game lead over both Iowa and Indiana. Morin's squad wasn't about to let go of last season's title without a fight, but the Hoosiers have only two games remaining and will need help to finish first again. The poll implications are that Iowa's 17-week streak of being ranked in the top five could be in jeopardy. Indiana could move up, and this will keep the Hoosiers in the mix to host NCAA tournament games. Up next for Iowa is Illinois. For Indiana, it's Northwestern. In local sports, the Tritons are set to open rugby season by Eric Pratt. Iowa Central rugby coach Brent Nelson sees his spring as an opportunity for his program to reestablish itself among the nation's most competitive programs. The Tritons visit Gainesville, Florida this weekend to open their spring season as the Sunshine Sevens Tournament. This is the first step toward the 2024 Collegiate Rugby Championships, which will be in Maryland April 26th to 28th. We want to set the tone for this spring and let the country know Iowa Central is back in full force, said Nelson, a Humboldt native and ICCC graduate who is in his ninth year at the helm. We have a few tournaments scheduled this spring and will continue to develop and get ready for the end of April. Long term, we want our boys to have an amazing experience together and make memories that will last a lifetime. The Tritons are anchored by a number of veteran players, including Fort Dodge senior high graduate Matt Shirtles Davis. The, f- the former Fort Dodge Stag standout was named to the National Collegiate Rugby Hot 100 list for his efforts last fall. Matt is as good as a leader as we could ask for, Nelson said. His career here will be closing at Iowa Central. All TLC boys teams announced. Senior Gavin Bada helped lead the South Central Calhoun boys to share of the Twins Lakes Conference title, and the senior earned first-team All-League honors for his efforts. Joining Bada was teammate Cole Higgins, along with Emmitsburg Brian Meana, East Sac County's Ryan Clare, Newell Fonda's Max Carlson, and Mason Northwest Webster's Logan Moline. The Hawks finished tied with South Central Calhoun at 10-1 in the conference. Keegan Sword from South Central Calhoun, Carter Hudson and Gavin Swanson of Emmitsburg, Sam Julin and Luke Wright from East Sac County, Newell Fonda's Owen Mills and Ethan Bethens from Pocahontas area were all on the second team. Making the third team were Andrew Anderson of South Central Calhoun, Carson Back from Emmitsburg, Newell Fonda's Geisen Lyman and Eli Roberts, Matt Condon from Manson, Northwest Webster, and Jackson Zog from West Bend Mallard. Clive Clark from South Central Calhoun and Bill Geelan of Emmitsburg were co-coaches of the year. Top of Iowa All-Conference announced. Several area basketball players are named to the Top of Iowa All-Conference teams, the league announced. Bishop Garrigan's Abby Capsius, 
claimed Player of the Year honors for the West Division and made the first team alongside teammate Gracelyn Eastman. North Union's Ansley Ulrich was also first with Emmy Bartolo of Bishop Garrigan and Naomi Jones from North Union making the second. Sacha Alsech of Bishop Garrigan, Nadia Kaiser from Eagle Grove, and Libby Stevens of North Union made honorable mention. Eagle Grove's Drake Canavan was joined by North Union's Danielle Forthergill and Kyan Jones on the West first team. Bishop Garrigan's Michael Joyce and Carter Schwab, Eagle Grove's Tyrion Franklin, and North Union's Preston Gerdert was Aidan Lostrom made the second. Drew Muller of Bishop Garrigan, Jackson Morris of Eagle Grove, and Cody Ermitter of North Union were honorable mention. North Union's Alex Fisher was named Coach of the Year. In the advice column, Bride gets giddy over wedding gift. Dear Annie, I have a friend whose son was taking a job across the country after his wedding. He hosted a bridal, she hosted a bridal shower since many of us had met her future daughter-in-law and her parents didn't live nearby. We were asked to give our best marital advice and bring a gift. Since I wasn't married and I had a custodial job, I made a list of everyday products and what they could be used to clean. At the wedding reception, the bride came to me and gave me a hug. Then she told me that mine was the best gift because she didn't know how to clean very well. That's one gift that could be used again and again and passed down for generations. Plus, it's something that made me feel good. Still feeling good. Dear Still Feeling Good, What a wonderful example of how thoughtfulness and creativity can go a long way. Many people experience stress or anxiety over the financial cost of attending a wedding. From travel fare to hotel reservations to wedding gifts, not to mention separate occasions altogether like bachelorette parties and bridal showers. Your thoughtfulness and your pride in your work are shining through in your gift, and the pride clearly appreciated the personal touch. Well done. Dear Annie, my husband and I just moved from Ohio to South Carolina for better weather. We also went from a tiny house to a big, beautiful home. My in-laws always threaten to move in with us, and they think it's funny. I can't stand them. I loathe them. They are alcoholics. And when we lived in Ohio, my husband would go to their house every weekend and drink heavily with them. Since we've moved, my husband hasn't gotten drunk, which I appreciate. When they come to visit, is it wrong to ask them not to bring liquor to our house and to ask them to stay at the Airbnb or hotel instead of with us? The thought of them being here with us makes me cringe. I should also mention that our lives and relationship are much healthier and happier without them around. Please help. In-law annoyance. Dear in-law annoyance, it sounds like this move has brought nothing but good things to you and your husband, and protecting that peace is important. Though honest communication with your partner, it can be done. Discuss your in-laws' upcoming visit together and figure out the best way to approach setting boundaries with them. It's your house, which means your guests should be abide by your rules. In this case, no booze. Suggest to your husband that they secure alternative accommodations, but host them for outings, dinners, or other visits while they are in town. Navigating family dynamics like this can be tricky. The keys to success are honesty and open communication with your husband. 
If you two are on the same page, it will be much easier to keep the peace with your in-laws. I have to abbreviate this article due to time constraints, but it's important. EPA approves year-round sales of higher alphanol blend in eight Midwestern states out of Des Moines. Drivers in eight Midwestern states will be able to fuel up with a higher blend of ethanol throughout the year under a final rule announced Thursday by the Environmental Protection Agency. The Biofuels Industry and Farmers Group, with support of Midwest governors, sought the end of a summertime ban on sales of gasoline blended with 15% ethanol for years. The higher blend has been prohibited because of concerns it could worsen smog during warm weather. The move reflects the importance of ethanol to agriculture. The fuel additive consumes roughly 40% of the nation's corn crop, so higher sales of ethanol could mean greater profits for corn farmers. The rule, which takes effect in April 2025, will apply in Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, Ohio, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. Those states grow the bulk of the U.S. corn crop and are home to much of the nation's ethanol production. And that brings us to the ends of today's reading of the Mason City Fort Dodge Papers. I'm your reader, Bob. Thank you for sharing your time with IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind.